1: And why don't we just uh, keep people from waiting, and I'll say good morning, James.
2: Morning, Bob. How you doing?
1: Oh, it is just a beautiful day. Sure, chilled down right at daybreak. I was, uh, you know, I went out and got in my car. I was surprised that it was 45 degrees. And, boy, by the time I got into San Antonio, it was 37 when I got over here to the radio station. So it's uh, it's a crisp, beautiful morning out there.
3: Yes, sir. I got up and threw a couple of logs in the stove and went back to (laughs)
1: snoozing, man. Yeah, yeah. my kitty cat suggested that that would be a very good idea for me, but uh the dogs, on the other hand, thought it was time to get up and go outside and play a little bit, so you know there' are always Uh-oh. those that want to sleep in and those that want to go out and play so uh you know you just you just do what you have to do, but uh you know a log on the stove and a and a nice warm beverage would be a real good real good thing to have right now
3: yes sir it's it's cool out there hey you, did you get your asparagus? cut back yet after it froze down
1: you know i hate to say it i've hardly been in the garden the past two or three weeks i've been finishing up so much stuff in the greenhouse but that is on my list of things to do uh, uh who knows maybe i'll get home before uh, dark this evening and mighty work on it this uh this evening but it's time it's uh i but you know as cold as it's been i don't think the the Asparagus is going to sprout anytime soon, so I'm guessing we probably have another four to six weeks before we really have to get it done, but we'll see what Mother Nature thinks about that.
3: Well, that was my question. I I got all the ferns uh, mowed down with the weed whacker, the the nylon cutter on the weed whacker. And right. got that all uh, moved out, and uh, am, am I going to – I like to put down the growing green. Uh, uh-huh with the drop spreader and then i go uh, uh not on the crowns but on the edges and kind of work it in a little bit get a few weeds with the stirrupo is that going to get in the way of the harvest
1: oh not in any way not in any way i think you're doing more than you need to with your stirrupo i i would just put the growing green down and then if anything i'd either just throw some you know, chopped up leaves on top of it, or even put a thin layer of your finished compost on top of it. That, I think that does as much or more good than working it into the soil because your compost is just pure microbes, and that's what you need to digest that fertilizer and get it in a form for the plants to absorb. You know, plus, there are a lot of people that that like the kind of blanched asparagus. They like that really, you know, white to yellowish instead of the dark green. And you can... Uh, You know, I've known people that just use something loose like leaves, but mulch your asparagus like 10 inches deep. And then when they start seeing those little fronds poke up through the top of those leaves, they, you know, part the leaves and will reach all the way down in, break it off at ground level. And you've got some of the best taste in asparagus you will ever enjoy. So I don't think there's anything wrong with adding... uh, You know, either your chopped leaves that are excess to what you can get in the compost pile or even putting some compost over the top of it, and I don't think you really accomplish anything trying to work it in. I'd rather put compost on top of it than uh, go to that trouble.
3: uh, uh, I put a little fertilizer down, and then I uh, do a little knocking some weeds out. Yeah, It's an 80-foot row. But I like everything nice and clean during my harvest season. Uh Then after I get finished harvesting, those leaves that I'm uh, collecting now now uh, will be mulched down in the in the piles, and then I'll I'll go ahead and and put my mulch on for summer.
2: Sure.
1: I was
3: wondering if you approve of that.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the thing too about you know these winter weeds, when you've got something and your asparagus is probably like mine, it's totally frozen and gone. There's no green tissue showing anywhere. And uh, if, you, you know, if you want to you turn a 30-minute job into a three-minute job, you can get out there with your vinegar and orange oil and just spray that dormant asparagus bed, and you'll kill every one of those little uh, henbit or clover or winter grass, whatever's coming up. You can go through and real successfully and easily kill out those sprouting green weeds without having one particle of effect on, on your asparagus grounds.
3: Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, I, yeah, that that'll uh, that'll save a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like um, kind of like when people's yards turn brown, you can get out there and try to pull all those dandelions, or you can get out there and just you know spray. And uh, it's not like we're using Roundup or some of that other stuff that we don't approve of. But vinegar and orange oil goes away, leaves no residue, maybe even slightly acidifies the soil, which is going to make your nutrients more soluble. So. Uh, uh I just uh, you know I'm sure you're like me you've got so much to do that if I can turn a 30 minute job into a 3 minute job that leaves me uh, another 27 minutes to work on something else that needs my attention
3: Yes sir there's always there's always something fun to do um uh, man that's that's good advice I sure appreciate that well I wanted to c- encourage your uh, your uh, asparagus growers to you know maybe stack up some leaves in a in a wire cage and get ready for uh, after the harvest Oh yeah to, to get their beds mulched, but I I, I do it backwards from from what you guys have done.
1: <laughs> well, done, right? you know it it works any any way you want to do it. Do you have a favorite variety? Which uh, which asparagus uh, do you feel like is most productive in your garden, in Marion?
3: It it was the Jersey Giant, right? And now it's the uh, the they've got a, a Jersey Knight.
1: Aha! Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I've been seeing I'm, that one.
3: Now that you brought that up, uh, this time of the year when I cut the ferns down, I usually collect a handful of of seed pods to uh-huh. to start and have a few uh, few uh, seedlings for sale. But uh, evidently that freeze froze the seeds because when I started trying to get them out of that pod, they were uh, they were all mushy and. Uh, just not acceptable
1: really so they hadn't fully yeah. matured interesting
3: well they were fully matured but uh, the black it was all uh, water inside and they weren't dry like they usually were and they just weren't uh, huh I, I guess it was the freeze
1: yeah I would I would certainly think that was a possibility I you know and and the seed inside was decomposed at little the round portion no of it set. was
3: it was completely intact but when you when you tried to rub it between your fingers the the black part of the seed came off uh-huh. and the the germ just fell out of it
1: oh wow so it would have been a waste yeah. of time to try to plant them well mother nature's I done a lot of interesting out. yeah it's uh that it, it the plants simply weren't ready for that early freeze and uh Uh, You know, they they were reacting so much to all the rain we got in September and October. Uh, Everybody thinks about freezes as putting plants into our semi-dormant. We have very few things that go truly dormant in the winter months, but uh, a drought will do the same thing. Drought will make a lot of plants, put them into a semi-dormant state, and then you dump 20, 30 inches of rain on top of it. They think it's uh, beyond dormancy and time to break out and grow and grow. then to get that freeze shortly after everything started trying to grow, I don't think we are going to see much long-term damage, but I mean plants that don't normally show any damage at all, like Asian jasmine. Every Asiatic jasmine bed that I've looked at has two inches of dead growth on top of it. And, of course, people can just go in with their line trimmers and take that off and make it look nice again. But this was a very, very unusual weather-wise year, uh, not just from... You know, having all the rain we did in September and October, but just the way it affected the plants because it was so dry, and then it was so wet, and then we got an early freeze, and those those three things, you know, piled one on top of the other, um, sure impacted a lot of lot of different things we have growing out there.
3: Well, that's another question. Uh, the there's still leaves on the fig trees, the mother trees that I would take my cuttings from. Uh huh. Did those. I'm not sure if I want to take cuttings from them. Do those those buds freeze?
1: I doubt it. I doubt it. I was looking at my figs the other day, you know, they they still have leaves on them, but man, I just touched the leaves and, uh, you know, and they're falling off, and I have to say, I haven't been home in in daylight with enough time to go up and look at those trees and see if that wind blew all the leaves off, but everywhere that I was just touching the leaves and they were falling off, the buds behind were bright green, so I doubt very much that there's any problem with the buds having frozen.
3: Okay, that's what I'll look for. Okay, uh, and and you guys that are uh, saving those leaves uh, don't forget to put a little molasses water in there when you build those piles
1: oh man It'll, <laughs> it and if you're using them for mulch that'll even warm them up and make them a better mulch plus it's you know it's kind of like uh not to not to talk about a subject that a lot of people don't want to think about but uh, snake venom um i've been had a couple of rattlesnakes and coral snakes and things this year but it's always been interesting to me that rattlesnake venom and most snake venoms is actually a powerful digestive enzyme and what it does is start digesting their prey even before they swallow it so that's kind of what you're doing with your molasses water you're starting that compost product process even before you get those leaves into the compost pile so it's a really good thing to be doing
3: yes sir it uh it uh, hurries up the process man i've Every time I work that asparagus bed this time of the year, I got, man, I'm getting hungry for asparagus. I
1: can't take it. <laughs> yeah, my employees think that I must be a lousy asparagus grower because I don't ever bring any of that to work like I do the tomatoes and broccoli and things. But the truth is I'll stand there in the garden and just pick that stuff and eat it. And I have to eat quite a lot of asparagus before I find any to put in the bag to take to anybody else. So uh sounds like we feel the same way about good asparagus.
3: Yes, sir. I guess we're going to have to wait.
1: (laughs) Well, James, you get out and have a great Sunday, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, Bob. Thanks. You're sure welcome. Thank you. All right. uh, Kay's up next, and then we're going to talk to Ron and Nicole, and whoever grabs line number one up there. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning.
0: I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, The first one is, I have a friend that is, he had a beautiful garden this year, he said, but the gophers got it just pulling the plants down through the holes
1: and you know they um, they really do that it's like that old Chevy Chase movie and mm-hmm. I was I was hiking uh we had gone to a gift show out in California and we always save a day to go hike somewhere and standing there on the trail watching that plant literally get sucked down into the ground <laughs> and it's kind of amusing but it's not very good when that happens in your garden
0: no not at all so I'm not sure what what, what can he do
1: Well, there are a couple of different ways uh, to eliminate gophers. You generally don't have very many gophers. I mean, I... I did a lot of gopher trapping in my in my high in my uh, college years because uh, a professor was a good friend of mine I was doing some research on them and uh, so I learned an awful lot about trapping gophers and you can stand there and look at a field that maybe has a hundred gopher mounds out in it and you 've probably got two to four gophers is all you've got out there because they just they don't you never have a very high concentration of them. There are poisons that you can put out which i don't approve of because I don't want to see dogs and things like that. Getting into it, Uh, one thing that was suggested to me by a longtime caller, and I've had several people tell me that it works real well, is to put unchewed juicy fruit chewing gum down in the in the gopher's tunnel. And apparently it does not agree with them. Uh, It does kill them. And I've had several people tell me that they've eliminated the gophers that way. The way that I got rid of mine and I've never had them reappear is uh, I did the way that I used to trap them and, uh, They make a special trap. It's called a Victor Gopher Trap. It's available at most country feed stores. And uh, you always set them in pairs, and you tie them together with a string. And what you do, you look at a gopher mound, and most of the time, if you really study it, you'll see that there's like a little cleft, like kind of a cleft if you drew a heart shape, kind of like the cleft you would see at the top of the heart. And if you find that, uh, you know, on this mound of dirt that's uh, been pushed up, thrown out, uh, and you dig down just below that point, you will normally find the gopher's tunnel, which is going to be about three inches below the surface of the soil. Uh, You don't know which end of the tunnel the gopher is in, so you have to do something both directions the gopher senses that his tunnel or her tunnel has been opened by the change in humidity and temperature inside the tunnel and they come back pushing a mound of dirt to seal it up and if you've put out that chewing gum they'll find that and consume it and that's the end of them if you use uh, this specially made gopher trap uh, it will put an end to them as well but like i say number one you find the hole and then you uh, put either your trap or your gum a little bit in each direction because you don't know which direction the gopher is. But the gopher will know that that hole has been opened and will come back and um, and you can eliminate them one way or the other. The uh, uh, you know it's it's not a live trap. It's a trap that kills them basically instantly. But um, the good news is that even though you may see a lot of mounds, you've probably only got a couple of gophers out there and pretty easy to take care of. Traps are really inexpensive. Last time I bought them, they were about. $5 a piece, so they're probably about $8 or $9 a piece now. And uh, you learn how to set them, and uh, you'll never really have problems with gophers again.
4: And
0: they're called Victor I believe Go-
1: it's uh, the brand name is Victor, and it's mm-hmm. just a gopher trap. It's a little steel trap. Um, you know, if we were on TV, I could show you one, and it's very interesting how they're made. They have a little pedal up at the front, and when that gets pushed down, then the jaws in the back of it spring up and do their job and it's designed so that if that gopher is pushing a two- or three-inch pile of dirt in front of it, the trap will still get the gopher because it snaps further back.
0: I see. Okay. Okay. Very good. My second question has to do with the nematodes. Uh, you suggested that I get some from my shop.
1: Yes, I'll for I
0: got some from Lori, and, and I put them in a gallon pump-up sprayer and uh-huh. put them out Since it's not raining and it's dry, do I need to continue to use a hose and water around the shop?
1: At least one time. At least one time. The nematodes move in a film of water, so it's important that it be wet immediately after you put them out. But after that, if there's enough moisture in the soil to maintain plant life, there's enough moisture in the soil to maintain the nematodes. You just want to make it easy for them to get around and find the termites when you first put them out.
0: Okay, well, I only just sprayed that one gallon around there.
1: Well, so. you probably you probably put out a million nematodes. Um, I put them around my new greenhouse, and I didn't bother with the sprayer. I just put them in a one gallon watering can, and it took me about thirty seconds to go around the perimeter of the greenhouse, just you know pouring a little bit as I went, and um, and that's that should totally take care of your termite problems.
0: And you added no more water later
1: or anything? Uh, My soil was fairly wet. I went back with a hose and, you know, wet it down just a little bit. But we're talking, you know, an extra five minutes of watering around it. And uh, that should be be all it needs because we've gotten fairly good rain. I'm not sure, you know, what your soil situation was. But uh, it just needs to be wet when you put them out so the nematodes can disperse evenly.
0: All right. Thank you for the information. I appreciate it's it so much. All,
1: always a pleasure. You have a good Sunday, Kay, and we'll talk again. All right, one open line. Grab it if you like. We're going to talk to Ron, Nicole, and Pat, and Ron's first. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Son? Oh, it's just an absolutely gorgeous day out there, a little chillier than I expected, but it's, uh, it's a great day to be outside.
2: Yeah, that that little chilly weather that we get for our short winter's.
1: i think it was uh three degrees in uh wyoming this morning i usually look and see what my friends are experiencing up there and uh you just don't have to look too far to be glad we live in south texas
2: yes my brother uh sent me a picture of back home in michigan of snow and Everything he said, do
1: you miss it? And I said, nope. Yep. Well, we uh, one of our managers at Shades of Green is from Wisconsin, and she has a line. She says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad wardrobe. And you can say that all you like, but uh, I, I have a lot more trouble keeping uh, warm in the winter than I do cool in the summer when you get up to that kind of temperature. So what's going on in your world today?
2: My daughter bought some hydrangeas uh, from uh, HEB. We put them in non uh, no, I say non-treated, but non-softened um, water with uh-huh. some plant food. And she got this morning, almost like dead this morning. So is that just hydrangeas aren't very hardy? or
1: Are they inside or are they outside?
2: Oh, they're inside, inside the kitchen, yeah.
1: Okay, I'll bet you they're dry. I mean, hydrangeas are the thirstiest plants in the entire world. And if you miss one watering, they will just look like they absolutely melted. The good news is that normally when you water them, you know, an hour later, they're going to be absolutely beautiful again. Now, if you let that happen very often, uh, the blooms are going to go south on you. But hydrangeas, I, I don't know of any plant. That uh, requires more regular watering, or any plant that shows it more than they do. So I'd be willing to bet you, if she just gives them a good thorough drink, you know, by lunchtime they're going to look pretty good again.
2: Well, we just got them last night, and it, I can uh, the glass or the vase that is in—you can see through it. And there's about three or four inches of water, and they're well submerged in the water. So.
1: Oh, okay. So these are cut hydrangeas.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Hmm. Did uh, when she? put them into water did she make a fresh cut on the stem
2: yes yep
1: i like to tell you about all i can tell you is uh uh put a you know put uh, some people will like uh put an aspirin in water uh equally well you can put a teaspoon or two of sugar in the water some kind of electrolyte in the water will many times you know help the plant take up the water but um, I would, if they if they don't perk back, I'd take them back to H-E-B and say, hey, you gave me some old blooms that were at the end of their life because they ought to stay yeah. pretty for, you know, week 10 days at least. That's that's You're not normal. Uh and now, like I say, if they get dry, that will happen. And if you sometimes take them home and the tips of the stems where the water will be taken up is dry, um, they don't respond favorably. But if she put a fresh cut on it, put them in fresh water, then um, I don't think the problems with her. I think the problems with the hydrangeas.
2: Okay, just another real quick question. We were talking about the sequoias and the Sequoia National Forest, right? And the size of those trees. I mean, what was it? That, is it just the genetics that uh, has allowed them to grow to such large size, or is it also the environment that they're in?
1: It's some of both. Um, yeah. They are one of those plants that over the eons have evolved to be extremely well adapted uh, to their environment out there. And um, for instance, one thing that the sequoias do that I don't know of any other trees in the world really that do it, but the leaves or needles or whatever you want to call them are adapted to so when a fog moves through or clouds move through, they actually strain the water out of the air and drip it down on the ground underneath them. And I think wow. it is just so appropriate that some of the cities in uh, Northern California, through their greed, have allowed the lumber companies to cut come in and cut their big sequoias, and now they're out of water. Because the trees were putting the water back into the ground, and that was the water table the cities were using for their water, and now they have no water. And I just have no sympathy whatsoever for them. But uh, sequoias don't grow here. We don't have the fogs. We don't have the... You know, the the same environment, um, mm-hmm. they have a structure in their trunks where fire does not bother them. In fact, a sequoia loves fire because it burns the undergrowth away, burns the co- plants down there that are competing for the moisture and the nutrients. Uh, it's just a an incredible tree that is incredibly well adapted to the environment that they live in
2: quite
1: majestic as well oh yeah i'll never forget uh i was on the air one morning back when malcolm beck was alive and uh able to you know communicate effectively and malcolm made his first trip out i don't know when he went to muirwoods or somewhere but he he called me on the air and he said pop that was like he said that was like going to church and i said no malcolm that was going to church (laughs) to see those (laughs) majestic things So i'm glad you got a chance to see them they are absolutely incredible
2: yeah, that, that fire also, doesn't it also help with the seeds to, uh, to I don't know if those are the same ones, I remember you talking about that, where fire helps the seeds to... That is true
1: up. of most conifers. I don't know specifically if that's true with the sequoias, but that's true of most of the coniferous trees in the West, yeah. All
2: right, Bob, well, thanks for your help, and I hope you have a Merry
1: Christmas and a well, Happy New Year. I certainly wish you the same, Ron, and uh look forward to talking again, and uh, let me get Nicole in here. Good morning, Nicole.
5: Well, Hi. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, thanks, uh, thanks for thanks
5: calling. For sure. Thanks for all that information you just gave about the sequoia. That's interesting. They
1: are fascinating trees.
5: Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, I'm calling because last uh, time, last year, about a little before this time of the year, I I take a lot of clippings like from my succulent mm-hmm. and, and uh, um, like Wondering Jew and I put them in little pots and I baby them, you know, when it's cold, or and I bring them in little, just little pots, and then I save them for the spring. Right. Well, this year I'm getting a greenhouse for Christmas, and Excellent. I wonder what else I could do for that. Like, I have salvia, um, star, and Carolina jasmine, asparagus fern, inland sea oats. Will any of those work? Some exactly. of them,
1: you know, you just almost have to, to make a list and go through, you know, plant by plant. It will not work with asparagus. Asparagus, uh, spring rye, myri, uh you know, all those are almost always propagated by seed. Salvias, most all the salvias will propagate very easily from cuttings.
2: Oh, okay.
1: With uh, softwood cuttings, just put them in perlite. With the harder wood cuttings, um, you know, probably want to soak them in some seaweed, garret juice, something like that for an hour or so before you put them into root. Softwood cuttings will normally root in two to four weeks. Your hardwood cuttings may take two to three months to root. But... um, Inland sea oats, no. You can take divisions from the base of the plant, but inland sea oats, once again, are usually propagated from seed. So it's just kind of pick your plant and then learn how to propagate it. Um, okay. Your greenhouse, no matter how big you're getting, will never be big enough. But uh I will tell you that... uh uh, and you may already have this but to ask for a propagating mat to go along with that greenhouse for christmas because uh, oh, okay. yeah that keeps the uh, the rooting medium warm and greatly increases both the percent of germina- of uh, of uh, root formation and increases the speed with which your cuttings will form roots and uh, propagating mats are just absolutely miraculous what they'll do in as far as helping you get plants to root and get seed started for that matter as well
5: and would those be sold, like, uh, where would they, I find those? You know,
1: here in town, you might find them at Bright Ideas. Um, I was getting a couple more for my new greenhouse, and we simply went online. There are bunches of different uh, greenhouse suppliers that offer them for sale. But you might, they're closed on Mondays, but on Tuesday, you might call Troy over at Bright Ideas and see if they have them for sale over there. They're out in the Wincrest area, and uh, they keep a lot of very unusual and different things out there.
5: Okay, and then thank you. And then my second question is, um, you know, like a lot of my my plants in the garden, they're natives, but they of course dry out, uh huh, and they they die and come back, I guess, in the spring. But um, I they look very ugly, and I wanted to clip them, but I remember hearing you
1: say wait till like around Valentine's Day to clip them? Well, that that would be on things that have remained green and the tissue is still alive. It would be important to wait till Valentine's Day. And that would include things like salvia gregii and perhaps skullcap, but things like lantana, salvia leucantha, uh, the things that truly froze back. Might as well go ahead and cut them back. That's just dead tissue. The plant did not even know it's being cut. It would be a good idea to put some mulch over the top when you do that because you've taken away that kind of protective layer of insulation. But, uh, you know, I've spent uh, quite a bit of time in my own yard and garden last week cutting back the Queen's Crown, cutting back the Pride of Barbados, cutting back the New Gold Lantana, all those things that have really frozen. You might as well go ahead and cut them back because they certainly do look ugly. <laughs> as yeah. you observed
5: yeah okay <clears throat> and i guess that's it um i just uh wanted to get some information and thank you for all your knowledge
1: well it's uh, i've made every mistake you can make in the garden so i'm happy to help you avoid them nicole you get out and have a good holiday season and we will talk again right now good morning pat
4: thank you Bob, for taking my call thank you for calling i got a question about asparagus? you people are talking about yours are brown Right. mine are shooting green shoots from the bottom
1: oh so pick them and eat them
4: I, can I, I didn't realize this is the first year i've planted them
1: that's unusual for them to be starting this early in the year but uh so how long how many years how long have the plants been planted
4: i just plant i got the uh what do you call bulbs from your place this this year you know okay and put them in i just got like an eight foot bed okay and uh they're green they never there some of them are brown you know the right leaves or whatever you call the ferns but i just i'm up here and i'm going oh my gosh i have got shoots coming up
1: (laughs) now and and these are the edible asparagus not the foxtails or spring or things like that
4: no 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 those are the ones these are the edible
1: these are the edible ones see the thing is pat in most cases we don't pick anything from them the first couple of years to let those roots get really well established but in this case this early in the year the whatever comes up is going to freeze anyway so you don't really gain anything by leaving it on there and those little shoots are quite tasty so i would tell you to pick them and enjoy them now chances are we will get to a point as we move into the colder weather of january that you won't have any more shoots start coming up until probably late february or march but for now, trim, yeah, for now, those...
4: Do I just trim the rest of this stuff? I mean, it's green. I have them planted against a wooden fence, so maybe that's why they didn't
1: freeze. Yeah. Froze. Well, just, just leave whatever green foliage is on there, but any new little shoots that are coming up from the base, pick them and eat them and enjoy them. If the green foliage has not frozen back by, say, the 1st of February, then I would go ahead and cut it off, uh, to let the new shoots grow up and develop, but for right now, just leave it like it is, and any new little tender things, even if they're really fairly small, again, a lot of asparagus never even makes it into my kitchen. It just <laughs> comes off the plant and and down my gullet, and uh, it sure is good, and it's very good for you. Asparagus is one of the m- most healthful plants that you can consume.
4: Well, it, it's amazing because each one of those bulbs that I got from you, they're like oh my gosh six to eight inches
1: yeah and they're just going to get better year after year asparagus is a good perennial in the garden long as you keep it watered you should still be harvesting from those same plants 20 years from now
4: oh wow that's awesome Thank you for the plant that you have
2: over
1: there. I appreciate <laughs> the, the Bob Webster's plant. That's well, a, it's uh, uh, we've we developed a lot of good sources over the years, and we appreciate you coming to see us. Hope you have a wonderful oh, holiday well, season, Matt. You. Is there anything else I can help you with today? Uh,
4: no, just get rid of the bushy tail rats and i'd be very happy
1: well if i figure out a more effective way to do that uh, i still i'm gonna one thing i'm gonna get this spring is something someone actually told me about and then showed me and it's a trap called the squirrelinator where you can trap about eight or ten of them at a time so uh uh, that's probably going to be on my christmas list if they're a real problem you might put it on yours as well
4: where, did you, where do you find something like that? Because I'm sure I could fill it in 30 minutes.
1: Yeah, I I think you have to get them online. They're not terribly expensive, and from what everybody's telling me, they really work well. So uh, uh, it's called the Squirrelinator.
4: Well, I will tell my husband to look <laughs> That's his gift, whatever. That thank sounds you, good. God. Have a great season, and thank you yeah. and all the people over there at Shades of Green. Y'all are awesome guys. We sure God. do appreciate Blessings it. All of
1: you. Thank you, Pat. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. You. Bye-bye okay pilar's turn we haven't visited in a while good morning pilar
4: good morning bob how are you i'm
1: good thank you how about you
4: i'm doing great thank you good uh, bob i have a question uh can i put compost now
1: It's a perfect time to put compost You're putting it on your grass or where are you putting it
4: uh, on, on the grass
1: absolutely best time of year to do it don't if you have saint augustine don't totally bury it um St. Augustine, probably no more than a quarter to a little bit less than half an inch. Bermuda and Zoysia, you can go a little bit thicker than that if you want to. But overall, about a quarter to half an inch is the perfect depth to put on all your grasses.
4: Okay. And, and when I water it, do I have to really soak it or is no. it just a light?
1: No, it, uh, judge by your compost. If your compost is still feels very warm, if it's still sort of steaming, you will benefit from watering it because you'll carry a lot of the ammonia gases being formed down into the ground instead of letting it go up into the atmosphere. It's actually a fertilizer and you'll take advantage of those nutrients. You don't have to water it at all, but, uh. And if the compost is truly what we call finished compost, if it's uh, cold, so to speak, not still generating a lot of heat, there's absolutely no reason to water other than, you know, the typical watering you would do for your grass. But if it's still warm to the touch, if it's still steaming, yeah, water at least lightly just to preserve that good uh, fertilizer that you would lose to the atmosphere otherwise.
4: Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay,
1: thank you, Bob. That's it. Well, you go out and have a good season, and we'll talk again. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Bernie and then John. Good morning, Bernie. Good
2: morning, Bob. Good morning. Heard you uh, talking about cutting off the pride of Barbados, which uh, I had already done. My question is, over the winter, how much water should i apply and when and the same for fertilizer
1: you know if you go ahead and fertilize when was the last time you fertilized let me ask that oh <laughs> it's
2: probably been it's a couple months because okay. it was when when they were still uh, blooming
1: sure well, I'd, I'd go ahead and fertilize any time now, and then you're set all the way till mid-spring. You fertilize now, you're good till March or April before you even need to think about it again. As far as water, you know, we they are forecasting, if you believe the weather forecasters, which I do not, but they're forecasting a little bit more moist than usual winter. You may very well not have to water at all. I would plan on most perennials that are in the ground, I'd plan on watering about every three weeks or so. Um, If we have prolonged high winds, like we had a few days this week, that's going to dry the soil out, and you may need to water a little bit more often, but... And just as a general rule, I plan on watering about a third as often as you do in the rest of the year and only water if we have not had significant rainfall. And by that, I mean about an inch or so. These little drizzly days, they don't do really anything for the soil. But uh I would say in a dry winter, averaging once every three weeks or so would be quite adequate for everything in your landscape. And this winter, I'm just going to tell you just to watch and see, because I'm not about to try to predict what this crazy weather is going to do.
2: Yeah, that last uh, rain system that came through, uh, we're out at Canyon Lake, and yep. uh, we got we got three and a half inches. Oh, I know. So everything got perfect. Pretty well soaked.
1: You're you're in good shape on a dormant plant. Now, things with green leaves that continue to transpire moisture, continue to use moisture, they're going to dry out a little bit more quickly. But something that is frozen back for the winter is not going to be using much water at all. So it is probably going to be a month where you have to think about water in that pride of Barbados.
3: And I've got a
2: a big, big layer of mulch on everything.
1: You may not have to water all winter. So, okay.
2: Okay. All right. Well, that uh, sets me up for the winter, I guess.
1: <laughs> we'll find something else for you to do. There are plenty of other yeah. things to plant, lots of other good projects, but watering is not one of them, so save the water and save the money.
2: I uh, I was able to uh, save my one lemon. Good. My Meyer lemon tree, so uh, we'll hope for more next year. Bob, I always appreciate your help. It's uh, great Great advice and uh thanks for being there.
1: Well, you know it's my pleasure. Thanks for the call this morning, Bernie, and you have a very happy holiday sure. season. Thank Same you, sir. Thank you, Bob. Thank thanks. you. Bye. Bye. All right. John's turn. Good morning, John. Morning, Bob. Morning.
3: I'm a carpenter, not much of a green thumb but i'm okay
1: well i love the definition that i found in a book one time it said a a green thumb is a common condition suffered by gardeners who results from handling large amounts of currency at nurseries so i I hope you will work on developing more of a green thumb
2: (laughs) Uh, like i said i'm not too bad yeah i managed i managed not to kill everything that's
1: good
3: uh i'm building some raised bed garden okay they're probably going to be a couple of feet or so wide, and they're probably going to be about four feet.
1: Okay. Uh,
3: three, about three feet deep. Okay. Uh, my question to you is, uh, what's a good way to start those things out? Because uh, the fiancé's boy wants to uh, have edibles in there as okay. well as pretty stuff. So what,
1: what do you plan to build these gardens out of?
3: Uh, they're going to be built out of cedar.
1: Bad choice. Sorry about that. Cedar's going to rot out in two or three years on you. Um, All right. People always think that cedar is a durable wood, and what they sell as cedar is usually western red cedar. And, I mean, that stuff will rot as fast as pine will, and I don't want to see you have to redo this anytime soon. Um, If you want to use, you know, something that looks like wood, get yourself some Trex, um, you know, it's actually a plastic material with wood fiber in it, and it is basically a forever kind of wood. It doesn't bleed anything back into the soil. Uh, treated wood, um, I'm not fond of because the, it rots out in five years anyway. I've got six-by-six six fence posts that I put in five or six years ago, and they're flat rotted off at ground level. Plus, they've got some nasty chemicals in them, so I'm not into treated. Um if you're gonna need any quantity of it, look up a company called lumber link uh They're not a real retail uh distributor of lumber, but if you you know if you need any number of boards, they will sell to you They're on the west edge of downtown and they sell this wood that I built my greenhouse out of that is called eco vantage e c o v a n t a g e It's expensive, but it simply doesn't rot It's gonna be on the order of trex Uh, A little more expensive than treated, but those are the only two woods that I would build a raised bed out of. Uh, You can always use uh, concrete blocks. Haydite blocks work extremely well. My friend John Kite built some beautiful raised beds out of those. And they're the sort of thing that if you decided to change the profile or move them or whatever, you can certainly do that. But to your basic question... I would get a good garden soil, Stone and Soil Depot, or somewhere like that, and then I would amend it with a little extra compost, a little extra fertilizer. Recognize that it's going to sink substantially in the first three or four months that it's in there, so don't be putting a permanent perennial like asparagus in there until it's gone through that sinking process. But uh just a good garden soil. It's going to get better year after year and that young man can can feed the neighborhood out of a garden like that.
3: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Bob.
1: And if you happen to circle by Shades of Green at any point, ask for one of our free handouts on the timing on all the different vegetables and when to plant them, maybe even a good book like Vegetable Gardening in South Texas by Howard Garrett and Malcolm Beck. And uh, look okay. forward to all the success for you, John.